0: If you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 20. I'll give you a second to get there, and we will flip quickly through the first couple chapters of Ephesians as well. Let's go ahead and read the passage. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In my living room hangs a picture of a, of a verse. And it says, abundantly more than we can ask or think. I remember sitting in a church service several years ago, and Stephen gave this as a benediction in his prayer. Uh, This is when I first started dating Laura, and the thought went through my mind abundantly more than I can ask or think. It seems that Laura fits that, right? Like, I mean, is that what he's talking about? Um, But I quickly thought that Laura was probably not exactly what God had in mind um, that morning and what he was referring to in that passage. Abundantly more than I can ask or think. I can think of a lot of things. One other Um, Thing when we first got married, and even now for that matter, um, I'm a guy that uh, uh, has a lot of ideas. And I remember um, sitting there one day, and I had told Laura something. And I could tell it was like, you know, in one year and out the other. Right? And... uh, and she said, well, you know, we first got married. I got worked up when you um, would tell me the ideas. You know, some, some days that we're going to live in this house until we die. And we're going to put an elevator in there so we don't have to go up and down the stairs. Uh, the next week we're looking for something. So my point is, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, and she, she's to the point now where she doesn't get worked up when I have thoughts. But abundantly more than I can ask her think, I can think of a lot of things. But it sent me down a path of study. What is abundantly more than I can ask or think? The benediction at the end of chapter 3 caps three chapters of doctrine in the book of Ephesians. Uh, One pastor that I listened to would say over and over again that the book of Ephesians is about the work of God the Father and what he is doing in the church. But what has he done? In chapter 1, we, uh, verse 4, and you're welcome to flip with me, um, we see that he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. In verse 5, he adopts us as sons. In verse 7, he redeems us through his blood. Verse 13 tells how he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. The last half of chapter 1 tells us how Christ has been seated in the heavenly places and that all things have been put under his feet. He's given authority. Chapter 2 tells us who we were. Right, Verse 2 says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. But then God, in verse 5, makes us alive and he seats us with Christ in the heavenly places. The last half of chapter 2 talks about how the Gentiles, who were, as verse 12 says, strangers to the covenant of pro- covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, that we have been made one with the Jews, and that one new man has been created in the place of two, so making peace. And then it ends chapter 2 saying, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Do you realize that God is fashioning a dwelling place for himself from the church? 1 Peter 2 5 calls us living stones, right, that are being built into a spiritual house. Do we remember that one of the purposes that God has, though, is so that in building the church, is so that he might dwell on us, uh, dwell with us? I'm sorry. One of my favorite songs is, Is He Worthy? Um, and in it, there is a line that says, Does our God intend to dwell again with us? And he does. That's the response. So we have this unified body of living stones that God is going to dwell with, made up of different races, different types of people. And it is through the church um, that is chapter 3, verse 10 says, that the manifold or many-faceted wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Do you realize that God is teaching angels about himself through you? Now, that seems to be abundantly more than I can ask or think. And so we come to verse, or chapter 4, and it says, I therefore, right, because of all that has come before, therefore, there's going to be a logical response to the doctrine that we just heard. God says, you've been made into a temple of living stones that I'm going to show my, use to show myself to the cosmos, therefore, Because of that, I am urging you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling, to go about my life in such a way that accords with who I am, that does it credit. (laughs) How we live needs to line up with who we are. So what does a worthy walk look like? And Paul's going to mention four things now that exemplify a walk that is worthy And all of these are going to work. They're going to funnel down to verse 3, where we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Just remember that as we're going through these four things. First, a worthy walk is characterized by humility. With all humility, it says. Uh, this This is usually easiest, I think to define by the negative. In fact, that's how Webster's defines it, right? Um, It defines it as freedom from pride or arrogance. It's the opposite of pride. With pride, we want our own way. We think our own thoughts. We're the center of our universe. Paul tells the Philippians to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. A worthy walk counts others as more significant than ourselves. A worthy walk um, and humility allows me not to just seek my own way. right? That's not natural. It's a very Christian thought. Uh, The Greek word is not used very often even before the New Testament or outside of the New Testament. Uh, One commentator notes that Epicletus, he's a first century Stoic philosopher, listed humility first on qualities not to be commended. The first argument among the disciples is what? Who's going to be the greatest? Doesn't sound like counting others as more significant than yourselves. I was talking with a dad this morning who is relaying to me the struggles of his young son who's constantly wanting his own way. It's not natural to be humble, right? But it is worthy of our calling. Can you imagine a building of living stones doing their own thing? Right? One goes this way, one goes that. Would there be a cohesiveness to it? Would it bring glory to the builder? We are called to walk worthy, and that requires us to be humble. The next attribute that constitutes a worthy walk is gentleness. It's similar to humility and sometimes grouped with it. Um, you might see it translated as meekness. It's someone who's not rough. No bowl in the china shop here. We've all seen those people who run roughshod over people, right? situations, and they leave devastation in their wake. Um, These people are not gentle. So Paul tells us to be gentle with others. Don't blow through relationships. Don't be domineering. It's not a worthy walk. And yet it doesn't mean a doormat. Um, Aristotle defined it. Uh, is the 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 mean between excessive anger against everyone and everything, and never being angry with anything, right? Like so, it's not angry about everything, but it's also not ever not being angry. Somewhere in the middle of those two, angry when you should be, and not angry when you shouldn't. A teacher I had in high school used to call gentleness strength under control. Truly, a worthy walk is strength under the Spirit's control. Jesus and Moses exhibited this, right? They were both meek. They were both gentle. Does that mean that they never got angry? Um, Does Jesus not go cleanse the temple? It's, It's not saying that you're doormats. It's saying that you're under control. And if we are a building of stones, we will not be unified if there's an unnecessarily rough person in the building. Um, we, will we allow ourselves to be shaped in the way that God wants us to be? After all, we are his workmanship. And both of these qualities, right, are exemplified in Jesus Christ. Matthew 11, 29, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Christ decides, describes himself as gentle and lowly in heart. There's a great book going around by Dane Ortland where he explores this, right? Like if you guys get a chance, read it. Um, And the word lowly that they use there is a version of the word that we have translated here as humility. A worthy walk looks like Christ's. We're being called to be like our Savior. Um, How appropriate? Since he is the chief cornerstone of the living stones. And since we are seated with him in the heavenlies. And it's precisely these qualities that allow him to interact with us. He says, come to me. Right, All ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is precisely these qualities that make Jesus approachable. Thou allow him to say, come to me. Humility and gentleness are hard. Christ says, learn from him. It's not natural, but it can be learned. Watch him. Act as he does. Allow yourself to be formed into his image. This brings glory to the builder. Next, we are told that a worthy walk is characterized by patience. And closely related to that that command is that we should be bearing with one another. Pastor Jim had uh, asked me to do uh, a lesson on one of the one another's. And I'm just finally making my way to the, talking about the one another. And I, I, I thought to myself, okay, should I, I don't know, cut right to it? But you can't one another unless you have all the doctrine behind it. Um, you can't understand what you're supposed to do. You can't understand, as Jim, Jim uh, talked about last week, loving one another until we understand how God has loved us, right? Like these are all responses. And so. We are responding with the doctrine that God has given us. So we are bearing with one another. And I think it's useful to remember that this is necessary, right? That we are patient and that we bear with one another because we're so terrible at the first two. Um, Chapter two says that we're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. We're being built, right? It's not done yet. We haven't arrived. God is still taking his chisel. He's molding us. He's shaping us. We often still think of ourselves first. But hopefully you have more humility this year than you did last year. Hopefully you're more gentle now than you were before. Um, That you're less likely to leave that wake of destruction trailing after you when you do go all ball in the china shop. Sanctification is a process, and we're all going through it. All the other stones in the building as well. So how do we respond when our brothers and sisters in Christ are proud? When they seek their own way, we patiently bear with one another. And there are a couple of ideas inherent, that are inherent in these words. Um, or first, there's a time element. Patience is not instantaneous. Um, The KJV translates this, long-suffering, right? There's a time element. Frankly, it's going to last till your death. Um, We're always going to have to be patient. You're never going to have to not be patient. Uh, We're all in different stages of uh, of sanctification. Some are further ahead than others. Um, They practice humility and gentleness in ways that we don't. Those are not the people that seem to annoy us the most, right? Right? Uh, the ones that we feel that we're suffering long for. And in this, we show that our humility is not where it needs to be either. Why does it annoy us? Why do we talk about how the other person needs to grow? Why are we not patiently waiting for God to work? We need patience to walk worthily. Second, there's the idea that we will have to endure um, and actively work in these people's lives. I don't know how to do this from a distance, right? We're actually bearing with one another, not observing one another. Um, So we're told, right, to bear with one another. It's more than just looking. Um, And there is a qualifier, it's in love. So how are you bearing with your brothers and sisters who are on the same sanctification journey as you? Do we have a grin and bear it attitude? a grit-your-teeth attitude. Is it done out of duty? Well, here we are. I got a walk worthy. God did something for me. So I'm going to put up with all the people that he's also working in. Right. No. What God has done is supposed to motivate us. God loved me. And as Jim said last week, that motivates us to love one another. It's how we show that we're his disciples. And this is supposed to characterize how we bear with each other in love. A couple of other observations. One is that there will be a cost to this. When we deal with the messiness of each other's lives, we will be inconvenienced. This will take our time. As we walk through the sanctification process with each other, we will have to spend time. Our humility, our humility and gentleness will be stretched. You can't shake people and say, why don't you get this, right? Like, you know, I've I've told you, like, you know, I don't understand. Don't you see the problem? Don't you see how your selfishness is inconveniencing everybody? Not only will we be inconvenienced, but there might be a physical cost to this. You might be worn out from dealing with someone else's sin. There's a cost of sin, it leaves destruction, And sometimes that destruction can touch us because of the people that we are bearing with. Has someone else's sin cost you? This happens all the time in a family, right? I have done things that Laura has to deal with the consequences of and vice versa. Are we bearing with each other in love? Even as we face the consequences. When your bank account... Is smaller because someone was not walking with all humility and gentleness. When you're hurt emotionally, physically, because someone was acting like a bull in the china shop, will you bear with one another in love then? Another observation about the text it doesn't say to bear silently, right? I think I default to thinking this. Because in the phrase grin and bear it, there's a connotation that you do it silently. But Paul doesn't say to bear with one another silently. As a matter of fact, he is most interested in these verses in unity. Um, The first 16 verses of chapter 4 are all about unity. And yet in verse 15, he tells us to speak the truth. Of course, there's the same qualifier. It must be done in love. We really have to work on our love, don't we? This isn't to say that we say everything we think, right? I realize that that is not always helpful. Um, lloyd Jones helpfully instructs us that one of the first things in making peace is to know when not to speak. Um, I think that's very helpful. Before you speak into someone else's life, Examine yourself to see if it's motivated by love. Are you using words and are they coming forth because you're annoyed or because you desire to help the person? Are they coming from your personal preferences, right? Or are they grounded in truth? Let's not give up speaking into each other's lives while we are bearing with one another. And lastly, we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We're not just trying to get along. We are seeking to unify around something. The Spirit of God. Paul doesn't divorce unity from doctrine. There is unity that's not godly. But Paul reminds us Of all we have in common. He says there's one body. One spirit. Just as you were called to one hope. That belongs to your call. One Lord. One faith. One God and father of all. Who is over all and through all and in all. A lot of ones there. These are the things that we unify around. We remember what God has done. He is making us. Into a spiritual house that he intends to dwell in, let that wash over you right? and walk worthy of this with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace.